Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got two performers who've got friends in common and became fast friends themselves while recording this chat, Maya Hawk and Sabrina Teitelbaum. Now, Maya Hawk is probably best known for her day job as an actor, most visibly in a little show called Stranger Things. But as you'll hear in this chat, she's probably more excited by her side path as a singer and songwriter. Hawk has released two understated but fantastic albums so far, and as you'll hear, she's basically finished another already. The vibe of her music is sort of indie folk, sort of floating and ambient, but lyrically really engaging. She's worked with some cool folks to realize her musical vision, including Christian Lee Hudson, who's the Christian referenced in this chat, just so you know. Check out a little bit of Sweet Tooth from Hawk's 2022 album, Moss, right here. Sabrina Teitelbaum just released her debut album under the name Blonde Shell, and it's one of the best of 2023 so far. She describes it in this conversation as an emergency album, meaning a bunch of songs that she felt almost desperate to write, record, and unleash on the world. It's direct and angry in spots, but also darkly funny and completely unafraid. She's toured with the likes of Horse Girl and Porridge Radio, which might give some indication of what you're in for. Or I could just play you a little bit of Blonde Shell's opus, Salad, right here. Check it out. To have a fantastic conversation, and just in case it's not clear from the context, they're both good friends with the singer Samia, and each has contributed to a Samia cover series called Honey Reimagined. Blondeshell did a song called Charm You, which is available now. Elsewhere in this chat, they talk about Hawks playing, quote, body air guitar, the weird emotional hit you get when a tour is finished, and the difficulties of coming up with good stage banter. Enjoy. We have so many mutual friends. It's like, it's ridiculous. I know. But the one that I think of at first, you and I are both on the like Samia Reimagined record. Yes. Are you doing Honey? Yeah. That's so sick. You're doing Charm You. Mm-hmm. Those are my two favorite songs on the record. And I, I love Charm You so much. I was like lucky enough to get an early demo of Charm You. And I think like it, it was my most listened to song. Like I like, there's just like the rough demo of it like two years ago or something. I remember like once the record came out, Dream Song really hit me. And I was like, oh shit, this one yeah. was a sleeper when I had it on my phone. Yeah, I mean, also Breathing Song is like the greatest song ever i mean like it's so original ever. and insane and i but i like that's i was like sammy asked me what song i wanted to cover and i was like okay so breathing song is my favorite i'm not gonna go near that song <laughs> no i thought about that too because i was like 
that's one of the best songs I've heard ever in my life, just like in general. Yeah. I feel like nobody should cover that song because that's just, that's her. That was the one where I heard it and I was just like, this is one of the most special records. It's amazing. It's a gut punch. And it's also, no one's written that song before. Like for the most part, we're all like taking kind of similar life experiences and filtering that the generic tea through our like brain filter mm-hmm. and making these different songs. But that song is like the spark of it. Somebody was telling me recently, like just talking about what vulnerability means in general. And it sort of like, I have this bad taste in my mouth about that word because I feel like it's misused so often. It's because vulnerability means different things for everybody. So it's like, if I write a song about addiction and somebody's like, that's so vulnerable, I'm like, well, I talk about it. So that's not one of those things for me where it's so hard for me to talk about it. Whoa. But I think like vulnerability, it's not like an absolute thing where you have this topic is vulnerable. This topic is vulnerable. It's like, just depends on who you are. And with that song, I really felt it. I think that's so smart. I totally feel it with that song. But I also, what you're saying is sparking my brain because I I feel like I've tried to explain this to people before, but didn't have the words. I think I often used perceived vulnerability as a shield, actually, like in my Mm -hmm. life where I would say things and talk about things that maybe made people uncomfortable because they were too personal or like you're being so vulnerable with me, but it was actually my way of defending and protecting the parts of me that were actually vulnerable. Okay. That is, that is so well put. I'll tell you about how I was, this isn't even true about me exactly, but as an example, like I'll tell you how I was bullied in middle school to like, and like, I'll talk about it really explicitly. So you don't ask me about my relationship with my therapist. Right. There's like a vulnerability shield that a lot of young women learn to use. And then there's like, there's also the crying thing of like being so vulnerable that you're crying. Mm -hmm. But that's also a way of being like, stop asking me any questions. I don't want to be in trouble anymore. Yeah. It's like a genius, really well adapted shield. Yeah, It's like (laughs) perfectly designed for the current situation. And I've used it so much because there have been subjects where I've been like, okay, body image or whatever it is, like, okay, I don't want to talk about those things. Then you talk about it once and then you're sort of like, oh, that was fine. And then you kind of, I kind of came back to those things. And so I think with writing right now, I'm trying to be like, what's actually scary for me to say? Like what would actually make me uncomfortable, but would feel good for me to talk about? Do you feel like sharing any answers? I don't have the answers yet, but, but I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's hard to know what really scares you until you end up too scared what I've been writing lately is like going past my shield personality. Yeah. Yeah. And like not, not writing from my outward facing point of view, but writing from like my inward looking. Yeah. And like switching, switching the pronouns of like you using the word you to mean me instead of somebody else Mm -hmm. is like one way that I've been trying to play with that. That's really cool. Cause it just puts you in that perspective, like directly. Yeah. Or like writing from other people's point of views, like going into the stories that you're writing about and being like, okay, I just wrote this thing from my point of view. What's the other character's point of view? And that can be so much scarier because you're like, oh, like I did a lot wrong. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. I would. Okay. So when you, cause I've been listening to your album, 
I listened to it a lot when it came out and then I was listening to it like this weekend. I me too exactly. Really? Okay. Yeah. So we're we're on the same with page. your album, not mine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think what we're talking about now is so conscious and so intentional with writing. Do you feel like when you made your album, you came to it with that intention or it just was like it just kind of came out? No, I just made an album that I made with a lot of intention. Mm -hmm. But the one that you would be listening to, Moss, I did not. Like that one was like messy and scatterbrained and like an emergency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you? The emergency album. Yeah. I had an emergency album too. Yeah. Your, Your album feels like it. It was like, this is life or death. I will say all of these things and then I'm just going to like throw it up and put it out. My favorite song on your record is Olympus. I mean, I love the whole thing, but that song is the first song I ever heard of yours and was played to me by like not any of our mutual friends, like was like sent to me by someone else. And it's so good. That song. It's like, it's so musically rich. It's so heart-wrenching. And it has that thing where that like I aspire to in my songs, but I don't think have where you can like have it on and rock out and kind of tune out what it's about or, mm-hmm. and, or you can tune in and like cry in the car. Like it somehow has both, both things. And that's so cool and I feel like and this is like a stupid way of talking about music but the you know some people's music you like can't put on in the car for your friends yeah like it's like too sad or too like like indulgent or something where it's like your favorite shit that you listen to when you're alone but if you're in the car you're not gonna just play it Mm -hmm. like sometimes I think about Leonard Cohen that way like as a rather than a contemporary example He's my one of my favorite poets and songwriters, but it's hard to put it on in the car when you're driving around with your friends. Yeah. But your stuff is like so deep and layered and smart, but also has these tones of playfulness make it like you really can like put it on in the car for your friends, but you also can tune in and cry to it and like study the lyrics and break them open. And it's really impressive and cool. Thanks, dude. Thanks. When we made the album, it felt so like we were on a mission because like you said, it was it was emergency time. It was like, mm-hmm. need to get the songs out. And I was so into like a certain pocket of 90s music that I was listening to just constantly at the time. And so it feels like it's in a very specific subgenre because of that. And something that I love about your music is you can't even totally put your finger on it because it doesn't just feel like you're hearing musical influences, but I feel like I'm seeing or hearing a lot of like performance art influences in your music and poetry so like, are there specific poets like you just mentioned Leonard Cohen or performance artists or visual artists who inspired your music I would say a- absolutely but embarrassingly I feel like the deepest influence on my songwriting is a class I took in high school which was a, a poetry class run by this teacher named Marty Scopel and it happened every Wednesday from like four to six I think it was two hours and students would submit, submit poems and he would print out like a, and staple together like a little book every week. And we would read each other's poetry out loud and like analyze it and talk about it. Um, classic mm. kind of writing class. It's, it's giving like very progressive Brooklyn school. That's what I'm getting. That is what it was. Yes. That is what it was. But what was so cool about it is that it, the biggest influences on my poetry became my peers because we would read some like published poems, but we would mostly focus on each other's poetry. And from such a young, cause it's like kind of like a college style class in many ways. Mm-hmm. And doing that at like 14, 14 through 18 
was so powerful because it just like it felt like you were swimming in this pool of, of your peers being your biggest influences and and then we had this thing at the end of the year called jazz poetry where we would join the jazz band and I mean this is so like Brooklyn school but whatever we would we would join the jazz band and like kind of read our poems out loud with the jazz band and doing improvisational jazz music and I feel like that it's so sick in and of itself was the biggest influence on my relationship to music so I went and did late night TV. And it was the first time that I had done it and you had just done it. And I kept yeah. seeing the videos and I was like, okay, she's done it. I'm about to go do it. I'm going to watch what she did. And I saw so much, like there was a lot of physical and that's why I was asking about performance artists. There was so much like physical interpretation of the music that I saw. Like you kind of hear the rhythm and see the rhythm in this like very spatial way. And so it makes sense that you're talking about like, okay, writing poetry and then kind of putting it to jazz and that kind of like multimedia thing. I also think a big part of what you might've seen there is like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a confident like player of instruments and don't want to do it on stage like yet in my life, mm -hmm. maybe someday. And I used to feel really insecure on stage singing without holding an instrument as like a shield guard. And what I figured mm -hmm. out on the tour that I was on right before I went and did late night was that I could like pretend, like almost like do like body air guitar. Like that I could mm -hmm. move that I, without being a good dancer and without playing an instrument, I could like really feel the, try to feel the music in my body and like let myself be a dork and like move with the story. And so I started doing that and it like unlocked my relationship to playing music live, whether or not the shows mm -hmm. actually got better. I don't know, but it made me have a much better time on stage. So that was kind of, that's what you were seeing there. But I also love, I mean, I love performance art and I love like Pina Bausch and like these kind of dance situations that aren't exactly dance mm -hmm. as a person watching you can kind of like watch your journey and then that's sort of an option to be like oh the music can be interpreted that way and you can kind of like choose to interpret it that way you didn't know was a possibility or you can listen to it the way you normally would have it for yourself yeah yeah how do you feel about playing live i have historically had really bad stage fright like I take beta blockers for every show. Whoa. But I think at this point, it's sort of like, it's sort of just like a safety blanket because I've gotten so much more comfortable doing it. I think doing it a lot and going on tour has made me really less, a lot less anxious about playing live. But it was making me think about this thing when you're talking about not wanting to play an instrument live and like the confidence of that. I feel like I've gotten a lot of people who've been like, oh, I expected you to play guitar on stage because there's so much guitar in the music. And like, I wrote a lot of guitar parts for it. And it's such a big part of the album. I think it's interesting that there's this idea of like, maybe you, your musicianship is better if you have a guitar with you, or you're like more of a musician if you have an instrument. I feel like, I don't know, I just find myself thinking about that idea and that expectation a lot, because singing is just as technical and just as much of an instrument it's just not external are you just getting off tour i am in a small pocket of being home in between two tours are you in a emotional slump when i finished this most recent tour which is the longest tour i've been on still not that long like three weeks but i felt insane when it was over like and everyone had told me about it my whole life but i didn't it's so embarrassing what felt insane about it was that I felt like I was in attention deprivation. 
And it took me a couple weeks to realize that that's what it was. Because I was just like, why am I so sad? And it's not just like the crowds. It's being the reason that people have gathered to a place. Both like your your coworkers, like your mm-hmm. the people, your band, your coworkers, your like, oh, and then the crowd, like being the the even if that's totally illogical, like if you weren't there, no one else would be there. Yeah, and that's such a crazy thing. No, that makes total sense to me. I feel like I've never thought about it that way, but I wonder if that's part of the same thing I experience. I something that I very consciously experience is like oh, there's no, I I live alone. There's nobody around. And I'm used to like sitting in a car for seven hours. And then you get to soundtrack and you're with your band. And then like you eat dinner with your band and then you play the show and you talk to people like just literally being alone and you wake up and you take a shower and whatever. It's like a sensory thing. That's so different. I like went back to my parents' house when I finished tour and like stayed and I was like, why do I want to be, why am I retrograding here? Like what's going mm-hmm. on? And I was like, Oh, because like, I don't know how to live alone anymore because passive time with people is so different than active time. Like right now yeah. you and I are in active time, right? Like right. we are sitting here meeting so we can talk to each other and like record mm-hmm. a thing, but like versus waking up in the same house as someone and like you're standing in the kitchen and someone's pouring some milk into a coffee pot. And you're like, you make me a coffee and you can talk and you don't have to talk like that kind of time together is so different. I have never heard those terms. And this is kind of blowing my mind because I, I feel like you can connect with people in such a different way when there's no goal or intention. And so if you're like sitting in a van with people and you're, you have your AirPods and then you don't have your AirPods in and then you're going to a gas station, like the way you get to know people in that setting is so natural. And so there's just no weight on it. I've never heard those terms like active time or passive time. If you have a deep conversation during passive time, like that's like a random win that like spurred naturally out of an emotional need. Yeah. But if you like go to sit down at lunch to catch up with someone and like, you know, and you're like asking them how they are and then they tell you, it's like, there's something different than like someone just being away and having to tell you how they are because they are away in your presence. Okay, this is blowing my mind because I have made so many connections with people when that's not the goal. The goal is like, you have a job to do. You're on tour. You have the job. You have to get to the venue. But then you're talking to people in this like really natural way because it's not like nobody's telling you it has to happen. Yeah. And I, I prefer it so much. And I think like, maybe it's like a childhood thing. Like if you grew up in a house that had other people, if you, you know, if you is like, we our most intimate relationships were built under a structure of necessity. Like we have to be together. Um, mm-hmm. And so we know how to like love people in that way in a different way than we do in these like intentional getting to know you sessions. I think that's one of those really special things about tour that like maybe when you're in it, you're kind of, at least for me, like I'm focused on how are the shows going? How, how are the logistics? Because there's so much that goes on. Obviously the people don't see other than the show, like there's just so much Mm -hmm. that has to get done. So I'm sort of focused on that stuff. And then I come home and I'm like, wait, where is everybody? You're not consciously like, oh, I'm growing my relationships with my bandmates or with these people I work with or whatever. It's just, you get home and they're kind of like not there. It's intense. And I don't know about you, but I really struggle 
with maintaining friendships without necessity. Like Mm -hmm. I, like when I, when I want to be close to a friend of mine, I normally reach out about like making something together. Like I'll be like, Hey, like want to write a children's book? Like, or like, Mm -hmm. like, will you help me with this thing on my record? Or like, we should do a movie to get like, I, I, because incorporating people into like a project, it just feels like such a, a way that I know how to spend time. But like, just being like, Hey, like you want to go to dinner? It's hard for me. (laughs) Okay. But I think that's really sweet. Like, I think that's such a nice thing to be like wanting to hang out with somebody. So you're like, Hey, do you want to make a song? Yeah. I think that's really sweet. It just feels like a way that I know how to incorporate people into my life. And if I'm not, if we're not making something, I'd like, would rather have dinner with my brother. (laughs) I totally feel you. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of The TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, the Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out. So you just finished making an album. You just made a whole... Yeah. That's kind of a quick turnaround. I was really nervous because I was, I'm about to go back to my, um, like my, my day job, my, I'm on a TV show and I, um, I was supposed to start in June and I really wanted to finish, I really wanted to go on a tour, finish this other movie I was working on and, and finish a record before I started. Cause once I started, it's really hard to like claim your own time and space. And so I kind of jammed everything in from 
January to uh, a month ago when it was supposed to start, but then the writer strike happened, and so now I'm like on summer vacation in some funny way. Did you make the album with the same people? Yeah, slightly. I've almost made every record I've made with same or similar people, but like reorganized. <laughs> like okay. the the structure of what everyone's job is mm-hmm. has changed each time, but almost everyone has been involved in everything. Are you working with Christian? Yeah, yeah, so good. I wanted to go to that show on Friday at the Troubadour. We should have um, been in touch. It was, it was such a good show. Like he's incredible live performer. Like listening to him play guitar live is one thing because it's just like it's like sounds like six guitar players. Like it's just Mm -hmm. outrageous. Mm -hmm. But then and then the songs are so good, and he's so funny in the in the little moments, you know. And that's Mm -hmm. those the quiet moments the tuning the tuning moments are so stressful for me and I'm I'm so inspired by his like on stage banter <laughs> that is the hardest part of a show for me the having to talk in between songs I find it to be the single most difficult part of a show because when you're playing the song you know what you have to do you know what's going to happen and then you know what it's the active passive of the show Yes, it totally is. The in-between where you have to, oh shit, I'm tuning my guitar or somebody's tuning their guitar. I have to say some shit. That's active. But the passive is like, now I'm in the bridge of this song and I have a little time. So I'm going to lay down on stage or I'm going to like get in your face or whatever. Yes, that's so smart and true. And yes, that chatting time is so hard that I like, I even want to do a public service announcement that I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking for like a stand-up comic or a writer to help me like write a script for my shows. Mm-hmm. Like next time I go on tour mm-hmm. and to have like, to like sit with someone who's really good at that kind of thing and like talk them through what every song is about and the stories and like have them pick their four favorites that like I can structure in as tuning moments and mm-hmm. like, and, and tell like four stories. The people I know who've done that and sort of like organized it beforehand say that it makes the show so much easier like yeah. just knowing even because even if you want to say something different that night you can but like the kind of knowing that you can have that script to fall back on people say is really helpful yeah I really want it okay I should do that too because it's just tough it's tough to know how to relate to a whole group of people and it's like this specific type of relationship that's not what you normally have in your life. And I get torn between trying to entertain the people who've come to see the show and the band where I like don't want to say the same thing again because I don't want to bore my friends. I do too. There's because there's like whenever we play salad, I'm always like, okay, this song is for anybody who's really pissed about anything or really like angry. This song is your song tonight. And I'm like, I try to find different ways to say the same idea because I'm like, the guys on stage know that I'm saying this every night. So I don't want them to feel like, I don't know, they're like watching this script happen over and over. Yeah, it's a confusing, it's like to try to coin a new moment every time. Yeah. But to also try to do the best show possible for the people who are there is really confusing. But Christian is so good at it. Just the way he like leans into the storytelling and like he's a very good storyteller. It's really cool. But he he produced the record that we just made. Cool. And he was writing with you on the last one, but he didn't produce it. Yeah, he wrote with he okay. wrote with, with with me, but he didn't produce it. And uh, this guy Benjamin Lazar Davis, 
produced that record, who also wrote a lot on this one I just made, but didn't produce it. Do you feel like a sense of relief for having finished or almost finished another record? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I have this weird relationship to making records that I really like, actually, because it's because it's really so deeply started off for me as like just a passion project, side project, apart from my job. And it was always something I've done my whole life, but I never I never wanted it to be a career like I, I, I wanted it to be a, like a sanctuary. Sometimes I feel like people, I mean, tell me if you have had this experience, like get into a thing where they're like, I just made my record. And it's like, I just, I put myself out there. This is exactly what I meant to say. And I wouldn't have put it out if I didn't. I remade my first record six times. Like I've heard these stories. And I just kind of like made things and was like, that's this moment. And here it is. And and I'm learning. And now I'm learning a little bit more about recording music. And oh, now I'm going to use the little bit more that I learned to make it a little bit more what I meant to say. And so every time I've made a record, I just feel like I like one was first grade, one was second grade, one was third grade, like mm-hmm. just getting incrementally like a little bit better. I'm sure like I'll reach a point where I'm like, OK, I'm not getting any better anymore. Like n- now what? I feel like you can always get better. I like I hope so. I don't know. I feel like if I if there was a time where I felt like I couldn't get any better, I feel like the music would probably be really shitty at that point. If I was like, yeah, this record is so good that I can't get any better. Yeah, but then it's probably gonna be a bad record. <laughs> but that's so that step that like okay, first grade, second grade thing is such a motivator, I feel like, to make music yeah. if you feel like every time you're getting better. I never stop writing like since we finished it, well, it's not finished, finished. I've got to do like some touch-up days or whatever. But since we did the like brunt of the work, like I've written so many more songs. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I, I, I don't feel like a relief. I feel like I took a picture. I think in a personal way, it's so nice to think about like in 20 years or 15 years or whatever, we'll have these pictures of what our lives look like. And sort of, if you're not like people talk about having a diary for that reason, like you can look back on it and be like, Oh shit, that's what I thought when I was 19 and when I was 23 and when I was 25, but I'm not like a consistent diary person. I'm kind of lazy about it. Yeah. And this is, it's nice to have that picture. Cause then in however many years we can look back and be like, Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking when I was. That yeah. Age. And that's where I was in my development. And yeah, it's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I have a question for you about you, the way that you put your record out that I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you, which is a ridiculous question. But I live in New York and I saw when I was on the subway, a lot of the ads for your record mm-hmm. that were like, mm-hmm. this record is the exact length of the average New York City commute. Um, something like that. What was the it was smarter put than that. What did it actually say? I know I didn't come up with it. It's like it takes 29, 27 minutes to listen to Blanchelle's debut album. And then it has like the stops that would correspond with the songs. Yeah. Like if you're starting here, the next song will end and th- you'll be at this stop. It's so such on. a good idea. And what I, one thing I really struggle with creatively is you, you want to promote your music because you love your music. You want it to be listened to. Not to mention like there are all these people, at least for me, who like worked on the music who yeah. I want people I want the album to get heard so that their work gets heard like not just mine but then self-promotion makes me feel like killing myself like uh, like, yeah it's it's, horrible yeah it's I I hate it like I do not want to do a direct address to camera I like I do not 
want to make a TikTok. I I hardly want to like yeah. tell people to buy the t-shirts. And like, yeah. and it's, it's scare. It's like, because I'm just like, if they want to find them, they'll find them. Ha <laughs> Like it's fine. But then, but then there's mm-hmm. all this weight of like all these people who have to get paid and all this stuff that has mm-hmm. to happen. And so, and I just, and it makes me feel sick to my stomach. And when I saw that ad, I was like, that is an ad I could stand behind. Like, that's so smart to, uh, and I was wondering what your relationship to self-promotion is and how you came up with that idea. Okay. So I didn't come up with that idea. That's the first thing. I think I believe my manager Shira came up with that idea and then when the album came out, I gave her like a framed thing, like a printed version of that ad cuz she came up with it and it was just very smart and she's really good with that kind of stuff. The thing I struggle with is like promoting on social media cuz I find it just painful, like TikTok in particular or Instagram, it's just like painful to try to promote yourself. But I also feel like just the tea is like, I wouldn't be putting the music out if I didn't want people to hear it. I want to play shows. I want people to come to the shows. I want people to buy the record. Like, I think if I, it's not a secret because if I didn't want that, I wouldn't be putting it out. I would just keep it for myself. So I'm sort of like, everyone's in on it. If you're a musician and that's your job, or if you're an actor and that's your job, or if you're doing many things, like if you're putting the music out, you want it to get heard. I think the only time for me that it feels really hard is if I don't want to admit that I want people to hear it, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And But I also, the thing I liked about that ad is that you like went away from the social media thing and we're like, I'm yeah. going to do an actual practical thing because yeah. the social media thing is so funny because like, I don't like posting that much generally, but sometimes it feels mm-hmm. like if you're a whole page is you being like, listen to this thing, watch this thing, like buy this thing, then it's like awful. And so you then want to like intersperse those interactions with like genuine things. And then you're like, oh my God, now I'm like on social media doing this genuine post so that I can do an ad. Like, and it just makes me feel so stuck in my brain and like golden age thinking about a time when it was cool as an artist to be like as unavailable as possible. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, cause there's this whole head fuck of it. That's like, if you really go into it, there can be so many games played about like the interspersing of normal social media posts. Like here's my dog and here's my, here are my friends and here's this. And then two posts later, you're doing your ad. Like it can get so exhausting. Yeah. I have resigned to just, my grid is just when I want people to know about like I'm going on tour or hey, I'm covering Charm You and it's coming out next week. I'm not posting the like, here's my dog and my boyfriend and my friends and whatever. If you like the music, here's what's coming out. Here's the update. And the truth is like with you, like I get so stressed about it for myself, but like when I look at your stuff or other artists I admire who like use that basically just like as updates of what is happening in their work. I don't feel betrayed by it at all. I'm like, yes, I would really like to know what's happening in your work. Like, I love your work. And like, please tell me when you have a song that comes out, please. I'm asking you so many questions. I'm just a big fan. But when you write a song like Veronica Mars, or is that even what that song is called? That's the first lyric. Mm -hmm. It It is. is. It is what the song is called. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just, your face looked blank for a second. And I was like, wait, did I fuck up? Um, No, no, no. What? What is that song like? Where does that come from? Because to, when I listen to it, I like it's so fun 
and it's so funny and it's so tough and it but it also feels like it has these like built-in secrets of like it being actually really heavy and meaningful and I'm just curious if you would tell me any of them in this very public forum yes I would love to tell you the secrets um that song it's sort of like Sometimes I'll sit down to write a song and be like, I would love to get a really meaningful song. I want to sit down and write a song. And like, that doesn't usually work that well. And then sometimes no. I just, I'll just feel a little like, okay, I'm, I'm just kind of inspired. And I was like, right. Do you ever go to Silver Lake? I'm in Silver Lake. You know, like the, you're currently in Silver Lake. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was doing my intelligentsia moment and I had been rewatching old shows that I used to love. And I just started kind of singing about it in my phone. And that song was really like, it was kind of unintentional. It was just like, I'm going to sing about, I I had been really into this one guy in particular who was like, just not nice, just overtly not nice, just kind of a dick. And I was like, what if I don't have to say it in some like art kind of driven, like really smart way? I can just say this guy is a dick and, and I think it's hot that he's a dick. And then I was sort of like, okay, that came from this show. I, it that one was like throw up. It just kind of, it just kind of came out. That makes so much sense to me because I, I mean, even this is like a sort of simple interpretation of it. What you feel is like the influence that we we are a generation in like many of us who like grew up watching TV, and as like twelve year olds, and like we watched TV shows that were meant for us, meant for adults, learned about adult relationships through these stories. And mm-hmm. a- as I've gotten older and I like go back and rewatch them, I can't believe how many TV shows rely on people making bad decisions. Like how many, the, yeah. the, how the tension of a scene is created by someone. And like, it's like, if they, if he'd only told her what really happened, she wouldn't be mad. And then she wouldn't, because mm-hmm. she knows he's like, just be honest and it would be fine. And and that they rely on it as the premise yeah. of what creates tension and structure in the show. Like, yeah. and so, because he's doing that because he doesn't know how you feel and you're doing that because you don't know. And like, it's yeah. like, ah, and how annoying that is because mm-hmm. we then like kind of see our lives through these like long form television narratives. <laughs> and like learn these lessons about like how people deal with emotions and like through watching tv and it was sort of to me it feels like this outcry of like rage we're so used to the idea of like oh let's get mad at the cinderella story like Mm -hmm. i you know i want to be mad at like this idea that i'm supposed to be a princess and get saved or whatever but there's as much to be mad about about like the gray's anatomy story or the veronica mars it translated to such a real life problem for me and I was so pissed about it because I really like I grew up watching a lot of that tv and my sister and I were really like just a lot of the way that our relationship was formed was through watching tv together I don't know how else to put it like we just my brother and I too really yeah like just tv just tv shows and like you're laughing together and it was just a huge part of our family mine too So yeah, it just, it wasn't like, there's nothing theoretical about it. It really translated to a real life problem where I thought that if you're like a really nice person, you're not really hot because that was, that was the idea in shows in the early 2000s. Like 
nice guys or nice whatever, you're not like you're not attractive if you're really nice. Do you remember that YouTube song from when we were kids? Nice guys finish last. That's yep. why I treat yes, you I like do. trash. It's not what I really want to do. Yep. It's fucked up because it, like, <sighs> then we grow up and we're like looking for assholes, you know? Yeah. And, and there's this idea that like if you get a mean person to be nice to you, that makes you special. And, yes. Yes. And it took me so long to deprogram that idea. Yeah. I dated somebody in college like that who was like, just not really nice to people, but then was nice to me. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome because I must be so, I must be so special if this person is just like kind of nasty to everybody except me. And when I was making the album, I was trying very hard to actively deprogram that. Yeah. That makes a lot of, a lot of sense to me. Something I love so much about your album is I can just hear so much, like, it's not just romantic relationships, but you're also clearly writing about friendship. Yeah. And clearly writing about, like, how complex those relationships can be. And I think that comes up with shows, too. It's one of those things where, like, I think if you grew up watching 2000s shows or listening to 2000s music in particular, it's like the main foundation of music should always be romantic relationships. And then friendships are kind of like little flourishes on the side. Side characters. Yeah. 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 So do you feel musically inspired by friendships? I aspire to be musically inspired by friendships. And I also feel like a lot of my friendships have romantic undertones. Yeah. And I don't even mean necessarily like sexual or whatever. I'm not a person with like a lot of friends. I have have really intense relationships with my family and that like if if i've if i have like 10 spots available in my like intimate emotional life like five of one hand goes from family yeah. and yeah. and then i have like a couple friends and the ones that i are really am really close to those relationships have had peaks and valleys and like fights and healing and so and that weirdly makes me feel more secure like going through a bad time i i can't hang out like my brother says this to me all the time. Like I don't have like buddies I go and hang out with and like play video games mm-hmm. or drink beer. Like I don't have a group of friends. I've never had that. Okay, but Samia told me to ask you about ginger beer. Oh, well, that is my favorite drink ever. I was like, I'm talking to my Samia. Like Samia goes, ask her about ginger beer. I'm obsessed with ginger beer. It's the greatest sure. drink ever. Samia is one of my people. Like yeah, and those. But those. What I'm sort of saying is that I feel like going through moments of healing, like of of separation and then healing, is like what makes me feel really close to people, which might be fucked up. But what you know, we we play the hand we're dealt. I feel very inspired by my friendships and by those enduring, those enduring loves. You know, which is yeah. like what friendship is. It's just like enduring love. I agree. I feel like we're taught a lot of the time that like just friendships aren't your primary relationship. The messaging I got was it's sort of like family slash romantic relationships that's like at the top and then work and then friendship. But I feel like friendship can be absolutely as fulfilling and important as any of that other stuff. But it's like, I'm kind of in the same boat as you with like, I don't have a million friends who I'm constantly hanging out with. Yeah. Yeah. My capacity is kind of limited, but I'm, but I like love hard the people that I love and, and I love letting that infuse and inspire music like a couple songs on the on moss are about like even just to connect the dots I had a friend in high school who kind of was like that was like kind of mean to most people 
and but then would decide to be nice to me sometimes. And it was the most intense relationship of my life. Like the it yeah. ending was so intense. It like and it, it it's and so like that friendship is all over that record, mm-hmm. even though it, it had been years ago. But I felt like in the pandemic, I kind of went back to high school in many ways and like started trying trying to like process what had happened in high school and like in those formative years, what had formed and what did I yeah, want to yeah. keep and what did I want to let go of? And that's kind of what that record was for me. How did you come up with the title? I was in upstate New York, like late pandemic and with a really, with one of my best friends and we uh, may or may not have taken some mushrooms and we're walking through the woods and started to just like see all this moss like you know that it's like walking through the woods in woods I've walked in my whole life and I just started to like see how much ground cover there was of this like living organism growing over these stones and dead logs and and creating beauty in like Mm -hmm. on on a rotting log and creating beauty on like a plain gray stone and and kind of covering the forest floor with this like blanket basically. And I, in that moment was like, Oh, that's how I feel about this record that I made was I like took the forest floor of my teens and early twenties and like just covered a blanket over it and like gave it love basically Um, gave these like ugly spots in my mind and heart love by making this record. And then, and that's why I called it Moss. That is so beautiful. And I'm so happy that I asked because that's kind of like, that's a question that people ask a lot, but I'm so happy to hear that answer because I feel like now I'm going to go back and listen to your record and I'm going to think about that as the context for it. Oh, beautiful. Thanks. I feel like sometimes that's how I feel about like maybe 60% of the songs I write and stuff is, is that it's looking back on, I don't normally write from a place of pain. Like I'll make notes and I'll like, like I'll write little things, but I don't really write anything good from a place of pain. I normally write good things by like going back to the notes that I had that I wrote when I was in pain and mm. like, and organizing them and, yeah. and framing them up and like changing the perspective and stepping back. So that's kind of how I feel about a lot of my songs is like, is that they're sort of summaries and like, and blankets and going back and giving love to things that hurt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Massaging the scar. I'm trying to get there. I'm like, I'm not really in a place of like creating a lot of pain in my life. Me neither. I think I was for a long time. I just was like in that lifestyle of creating pain for myself in different ways. And so I was always writing from a place of pain because there was always pain around. Yeah. And it was always like songs were kind of emergency trying to feel better. And now I'm in a place where just like, I'm not in the habit of making pain for myself. Hey, congratulations. Thank you so much. It has <laughs> it has taken some work. And now I'm like, my relationship with writing is so different because it's not like, like, you know, I'm waking up, I'm taking a shower, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm not like trying to do emergency surgery on myself. Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, if, if I've been playing with this, like other people's perspective mm-hmm. is like, is is sort of trying to get into other people's pain (laughs) like feeling less of my own and and getting more interested in other stuff and and like I'm so embarrassed but even in the record I just recorded there's still songs about high school (laughs) like yeah but like how could there not be high school is just the time where you're like 
Or you get so fucked up. <laughs> you get so fucked up. And also you have like no filter in a weird way. Like you yeah. just, all your relationships are just like, there's no thinking. You're just, your instinct is doing everything for you. And then you start to grow up and you're like, now I'm, I, I, I work a lot smarter yeah. on my relationships. And, and I'm also not, not trying to create pain in my life right now. I want to write more about joy. That's one of like the next project that I do, one of my big goals and is just like, oh my God, because I have so many songs I love about joy. So many of my favorite songs are about joy. And I need them. Can I hear some, or can you send me some examples? Because I'm always like looking for examples of joyous songs where I'm like, okay, that person did it well. Cause I'm always just listening to like the most painful shit. So I need some happy songs. I will make you a playlist of happy okay. songs. Yeah. Amazing. Charm You is a happy song. Charm You is a happy song. In a way, in a way. I feel like you need a mix of everything in there. Yeah. But it's yeah. been like, for me, it's been like 90% pain, 10% joy. And I'm trying to like, to the point where I've even been like, no, like wanting to point out the hope to people. and Because people have felt like, feels like people really hear the pain in my music. And I've tried to point out like, no, there is some hope and intentional joy in there as well. I'm trying to like mix that so that it's maybe like 30% joy. We're trying to get a little more balanced. Me too. Me, me too. Me too. I'll send you my my happy songs. They're very genre cool. bending, but they all have good lyrics. Okay. I love that. Yeah. That's all we need. But that's so cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I can't wait to hear your next record. I love this one. And I, I can't wait to hear your charm you. It's out Wednesday. So sick. We should all hang out and we can do like a passive time hang out me you Samia, and whatever we like we could go grocery shopping yeah we can go grocery shopping i forgot that this was a podcast for a moment i'm like so what are you doing this week and <laughs> yeah, send me this playlist i'm so happy to have done this with you and it's so nice to have met you through doing it yeah same this was great this is great you're great so are you thanks for listening to the talk house podcast and thanks to sabrina Teitelbaum and maya hawk for chatting if you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the goodness at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.